Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning saunterers, I'm sorry I'm a little late, I'm just trying to get a good spot. Um, The stone saw may start up again today, but never mind. We are sauntering, that's what matters. So Lord Jesus, we invite you into our world today. Lord, we invite you to come and speak to us right now. But Lord, we don't just want a moment, we want the whole day to be lived with you. And so we open our hearts to you today, in Jesus' name. Amen. So... We're in chapter 16 of Luke today and remember we've been looking at this incredible book and just discovering how this doctor, man of science, um, takes this completely out of the blue messiah, miracle worker guy (laughs) and not just um, observes him and critiques him but becomes one of his true disciples and a great friend. Um, But we're we're looking now at chapter 16 and it's it's been an amazing journey <coughs> excuse me so verse 16 uh, chapter 16 verse 1 rather he said he also said to his disciples there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions right <laughs> so you're the boss and you hear that you're chief manager is actually kind of doing fraud or frittering away your money using it inappropriately or whatever the things that he'd had he'd been entrusted to do he's actually doing badly and taking you for taking advantage of you your good nature so verse 2 he says and he called him and said to him what is this that i hear about you turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be my manager. So he's getting his notice. He's saying, right, I want a full account of everything you've been doing because you're, you have got the sack. But before you go, I need to know what, just how bad it is. And so on. So the manager, verse three, said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I think that's such a great assessment of his own abilities. I'm not strong enough to dig, I can't do manual work, and I really don't want to beg because I'm ashamed. So verse four, he says, I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his manager's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. 
And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may return, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. I, I find this story just absolutely scandalous that Jesus tells a story where he seems to be almost, and I have to say almost, he seems to be almost commending the deceitful, slightly dishonest manager for his schemes to kind of get some <laughs> to leverage his weak position so that when he is jobless he's at least got friends who will show him hospitality and have him round their house and give him food and so what he's doing he's gathering all the people who owe his master money and he's saying let's just let's just change that so you owe a hundred a hundred um measures of oil let's make it 50 let's just change the figure a bit and so he's creating goodwill amongst people who owe his master money or for money um owe money for products if you like and so they they haven't paid yet their bills are outstanding so good morning tim and sarah and george great to see you guys and jesus is, is saying like this guy is actually quite smart because he's using his brain he's using money to gain friendship and he says Jesus actually goes on to say that the people of this world are very good at this kind of thing but actually the children of the light who are my disciples in effect they're the ones who are not so smart with money and understanding how it works and so Jesus is saying can you see what this guy's doing <clears throat> he's using his position and his influence to create some opportunities for him when this source of income has finished, which it looked about to. And so Jesus is telling a story and he's drawing people in and I'm sure they're all on the side of the manager rather than on the servant. But then then he flips the story and says, actually, even the, even, sorry, on the side of the boss rather than the manager, and, and Jesus flips the story and then says, actually, you know, even the boss commends the manager for his artfulness. He doesn't necessarily let him off, but he does say, well, good effort, <laughs> 10 out of 10 for trying. And but Jesus says, and in the point of the story is in verse nine, he says, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. So that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Now, the, the, the word we might be familiar with if we've read it in other translations is unrighteous mammon. And mammon is the thing, was a kind of term used for what people put their trust in and they their security was in. And Jesus is saying this is, you know, it's kind of an unrighteous He's making money out to be bad in this story. Well, clearly money is neutral. It's not good or bad. But he's saying, actually use this money that you kind of appear to despise and it appears to be outside of your thinking because you've become heavenly minded. Actually use money to a good effect to um, actually create 
eternal value. Now, there's is what we're so what we're talking about is a cash converter system where we where we use our money for to advance the kingdom of heaven, and we convert what is essentially a natural and kind of part of this worldly system, which sometimes we can be quite dismissive of and and you know condemn it and see it as oh this is ungodly to pursue wealth and that Jesus actually saying well this ungodly wealth use it this thing that you're actually a bit complicated about use it to win people for eternity so that when you die they're going to be there welcoming you in I've I've run a couple of races and it's just a really cool thing when you come in at the very end and there's all these people cheering and there's your family there cheering you as you cross over the finishing line I always think it's a bit like that this thing this idea that Jesus is talking about he's kind of talking about if you've used money and wealth and influence and all those things well when you for eternal fruit if you like when when this life is over and you cross the finishing line there will be people there who are there because of you there will be people there who came to the lord because you gave some money to some church planter somewhere to live off of and because they were supported they were able to preach the gospel to people you would never meet and so on and so on so like you give money to this mission organization um, that's working in a country you'll never go to and maybe when you cross that finishing line there'll be people there who are there because those that mission organization was able to operate partly because of the money you gave them and so this is the kind of idea that Jesus is putting out he's saying use your money well here's another way you can do it invite people round, have them in your house give them some food talk to them about your faith share your faith talk to people make disciples so that there are people who keep running the race so that when you cross the line they're there cheering you on and and saying hey good to see you i'm here because of you and anyway so he says use it wisely so we have certain um we have certain things don't we resources that come that are this kind of almost worldly worldly resources we have time we have money we have skills and abilities. Good morning, Fran. Good morning, Mary. Um, we have skills and abilities. We have influence. Let's leverage them to bring people to Jesus, bring people and help to keep them walking with Jesus, make disciples, so that when we cross that finishing line, they're there to welcome us into our heavenly dwelling. I think that's the point behind this story. Verse 10. One who is faithful in very in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. I heard a pastor, brilliant pastor, saying, describing a conversation he'd been having with his two teenage daughters in the car, and they were talking about having a million pounds or something like that, having more money. And so he, he said, well, okay, supposing you won the lottery and you got like 10 million pounds, what would you do with it? And so the girls begin to rattle off this charity, that charity, this thing they would do with it. And dad's like just listening in the car with a bit of a grin on his face. And, he, and then he lets, lets them kind of ramble on a bit. And he says, no, you wouldn't. And they're like, what do you mean, dad? No, we wouldn't. And he says, well, no, you wouldn't. And, and they say, you can't say that. You can't say that. And he says, well, you're not doing that now with the money you've got in a small way. Here we go. It's a hive of industry, industry round here today. 
um, he's saying you're not doing that already with the money that you have, with the resources you already have, like your allowance or your wages from your Saturday job or whatever it is. So what makes you think that when you've got more, you're going to be any different than you are? He said, start doing the things now that you want to be known for, you know, when you are rich or famous or whatever it is, you know. And, and I think that's a really, really good principle. And I, it made me laugh and it made me think, if we've got £100, how do we... How do we dispense that hundred pounds what do we do with that hundred pounds and it may be that we think we need every single penny of that hundred pounds just to survive the week just to pay the bills get through whatever it is but are we are we even in our kind of small amount of wealth being generous and even saying well look from my hundred pounds i'm going to give this amount i'm going to i'm going to use this i'm going to leverage even this hundred pounds that i've got for eternal worth because that is a very very cool way to start thinking about our money and start thinking about our resources our time our skills etc verse 11 if you then have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth so he's using this thing again he's saying this term like this thing that you look down on this worldly wealth this worldly stuff if you've not been faithful in it, who will entrust you with the true riches? So Jesus is saying you've got, you've got responsibility over a certain amount of resources now. Use them well and God will entrust you with true riches, which are eternal riches, obviously. And if you have not been faithful, verse, verse 12, in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? sometimes we have to be faithful with somebody else's vision somebody else's um, business and influence and so on we're serving them we're not serving ourselves in it at all it seems we're just serving them facilitating them making a way for them promoting them that's George doing his digging <laughs> he's digging in the garden with his hammer digger um, but then we we're faithful in that and then god gives responsibility to us and god gives opportunities and opens up the way for us perhaps to be you know for our own vision to be pursued verse 13 no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other you can't serve god and money so what he's saying is use your money make it work for eternal values then you're you're serving God and your money is serving you. You're going to be um, that that those natural resources that God is giving you. They become um, part of the business of building the kingdom of God and and laying up eternal treasure. So verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard him heard all these things and they ridiculed him so that you can imagine them sniggering and muttering and tittering and saying things to each other you know in each other's ear and and verse 15 he said to them you are those who justify yourselves before men but God knows your hearts for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God it's actually there are values and things that you guys are upholding but actually God hates them they're things that you get excited about in in and you justify yourselves in these things, but actually these things are an abomination to God. So we need to make sure that the things that we're valuing 
other things that God values. God does not despise money, but he does judge our hearts in response and in relationship to money and what we do with it, how we steward it. So, verse 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. Matthew puts that slightly differently. He says the kingdom of um, God suffers violence and violent men take hold of it by force. And it's an odd verse that I don't really fully understand. But I think in Jesus' time there were some pretty violent men who claimed to be kind of bringing in the kingdom of God, the zealots and so on. They were like a kind of um, almost like a terrorist organization within uh, trying to kind of covertly undermine the Roman government and attack Roman soldiers and this kind of thing. <clears throat> but he's saying the good news of the kingdom is preached and everyone forces his way into it. I don't, I don't want to say too much about that, but I do think it's a, it's one to think about. Um, verse 17, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. So this is a really important statement. Jesus is not trying to eradicate the Old Testament, but he's actually saying, you know what? In this preaching of the kingdom of God, we need to understand in all our forcefulness, all our diligence and everything else we're doing, we need to understand that it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. So he's saying we're not, trying to eradicate the Old Testament and the old, you know, the law and so on. And then he makes this statement in verse 18. He says, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. And you kind of think, man, that is hectic. That's pretty strong stuff. He's saying the law about marriage still stands apparently it in the de in jesus's day divorce was very popular uh, particularly among people who had power and influence and they just wanted to get a a younger nicer looking wife or something and so they, they just had this they were trying to liberalize divorce in practice and jesus is saying no this is this is actually effectively committing adultery and he does make some exceptions to that in some couple of the other gospels but here he's really dogmatic he's really straight and he's saying marriage is a covenant it's sacred it's up it's part of the law we need to uphold it everyone who divorces his wife marries another commits adultery and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery now we live in a culture don't we where divorce is so common and there's lots of divorced people in church and my job today is not to make those people feel bad and feel like they've, you know, kind of missed the boat. But I do think the point is very clear for us. And that is that we should treasure marriage. We should see it as a holy covenant that God has given a man and a woman to be together. Now, there are times where it breaks down in a very, very serious kind of way, which is destructive and unhelpful for everybody involved. And then I think sometimes... We have to say, yeah, this is a, a this is a bad situation. It needs to come to an end for the safety and protection and honour of the people involved. And 
the children, etc. But it's really something that should not be ever considered lightly and trivially. And I do think it's something to weigh carefully with God and with those you're working with pastoral, those pastors who are watching over you and that kind of thing. We really need to make sure we're not just trivialising marriage and just kind of making it just a, oh, it was a lovely day, fantastic. But then, you know, a few years down the road, oh, it didn't work out, you know. Verse 19. There was a rich man who who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. So hold on, let me just back up again and go back on the divorce thing. Well, Jesus is saying this divorce, you can, you can get it tidied away maybe and squared away in your mind and you think, yeah, the law can allow me to do it. But actually, unless it's a, a, for a reason that God is kind of sanctioning, we are creating an adulterous situation by just chopping and changing who we're married to and it's not okay. Right, verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Wow. So what's Jesus saying? It's a, it's a scary story. It's not a nice one. It's not a friendly one. Good morning, Pat and Mike, and good morning, Alison, and good morning, Fran. It's, this is a story where Jesus is saying there is a judgment. There is a separation in the end from those who have walked with God and those who have lived to please themselves. And he describes the situation where this guy literally had everything he wanted, but he wouldn't be kind to the poor. He had everything this world could offer him, but he didn't show generosity and respect to the poor. And in the end, he, the poor man is elevated and taken to be with the righteous alongside with Abraham and so on. And this is a very a kind of interesting picture of what happens after this life. And I don't know 
you know, I mean, it's a, uh, I think that is, <laughs> there's a whole thousand conversations that can come from this just simple story. But the point is really simple, and that is that in this life, the rich man had the opportunities. He had all this wealth. He had this wor world's op um, resources at his disposal. He could have cared for that guy. The law that Jesus has been talking about is very clear, to remember the poor, to take care of the poor. This guy was not doing that. He was living in the lap of luxury. Time came. He dies. Lazarus dies. Lazarus, the poor man, goes to be with the righteous. And the rich guy, whose name we are not told, doesn't. He goes to Hades, which is a place of torment. Jesus describes it as a place of torment and that it's very, very hot there. And the guy is just like, I can't bear this, please. And so he can somehow see what he's missing. Again, I don't know if this is an actual description of what happens or what we should expect. This is pretty scary, though. And he can see that he's missed out on this incredible privilege that now the poor man who begged at his gate is enjoying there with Abraham and all the righteous guys who've gone before close to God and he says can you just send him with just a dip of cold water so he can dip his finger in it and put it on my tongue because I'm just so oh, I'm literally I can't bear it there's nothing to drink I'm drying I'm just literally uh, dehydrating completely here <clears throat> in misery and Abraham says no there's a big he can't come to you you can't come to us he can't come to you there's a big gulf between us and he says oh man well you know just send him to my brothers you know to tell them to warn them because if honestly if they see him come back from the dead they'll believe they need a sign they need something to convince them and Jesus says, do you know what? They've got the law and the prophets. They've got um, Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he says, oh, no, no. If someone came back from the dead, then they would believe. And Jesus says, no, I tell you, even if someone came back from the dead, they won't believe. And, of course, we know that Jesus is talking about himself. And even when he came back from the dead and gave many convincing proofs to many, many people that he was alive, there were still those who refused to believe. And still in our day, we want there to be some supernatural sign from heaven that says, oh, you know, God is real. He's alive. And those of us who love him and preach the gospel, we would love that if Jesus did something so kind of obvious that was obviously him just in our day to bring kind of everyone to attention. But I think now we've got to just consistently keep giving the message and inviting people to receive him and trust that God's going to somehow convince them but this is a this is quite a difficult story in fact it's quite a challenging chapter all round isn't it with lots of things to think about let's just take away these couple of things number 1 let's use our money well let's use it to bear eternal fruit number 2 let's treasure marriage if you have been divorced and you're you're in the throes of that maybe and live trying to reinvent your life now without your spouse or the person you gave yourself to for those years there is restoration there is hope obviously this is that's the point of the gospel the gospel is the 
are always God is the God of the second chance, the third chance. God is always, he's the God who comes after the prodigal. He's not the God who cuts people off and says, right, you know. But there is a time limit to the offer where we need to respond and say yes in this life. And we need to begin to live a life that demonstrates the kingdom of God in this life. And, oh, Jesus, we pray for all our friends who maybe are stubbornly actually refusing to believe, refusing to listen. Lord, and we've tried and we've talked and it's gone down really badly. Lord, we pray that somehow by your love you will soften their hearts and that you will win them to yourself, even in this life, while there is hope, Lord. So we pray, and we pray that we will be the we will use our resources for eternal value in Jesus name have an amazing day god bless you i am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book the christing it's a whole adventure of digging deep into the bible old testament new testament exploring stories that may be familiar to us but just seeing how the power and the beautiful rich treasure of the holy spirit is there on every single page and my desire as i share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural god where anything becomes possible when we're full of his holy spirit And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him. But more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. Or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.